morning. And it's great to worship God together. Thanks, the walkers, for the communion. Thanks, Jody, for inspiring us to a bucket list, but not telling us yours. That was very clever. And we also want to welcome back our brother, Chris, who... Wow. <laughs> that got more response than good morning. But we do want to welcome back Chris, who recently traveled to Perth, a single man, and came back a dating man. So let's go ahead and stand up, bro. That's right, man. He raised his arm in victory. And now uh, Peter's queuing up and Timothy's queuing up to, to seek advice from Chris. So they're going to talk to you after church. And we recently had someone move here from Bangalore to study, and she was she's in the sister church in Bangalore. So Angelique, if you could stand up. She's recently moved here to study for a little while. So that's awesome. And keep praying for New Zealand as a country. Recently, we, we posted an article on Disciples Today, which is, which is our global fellowship on our churches. And Scott wrote a few paragraphs just to really highlight what's happened in New Zealand. And so our, our church globally, all 685 churches, are, are praying for New Zealand. And I believe that's, that's awesome. And it, I think it is a testament. I think the world is kind of looking to New Zealand, and especially with, with our prime minister. God has really been with her to use her as a light. So continue to pray for our country and, and for God to use this as a, as a great opportunity for the gospel. Amen? So I, I have a question. The question is, what if you could have more victory in your life? That would be awesome, right? I think everybody wants that. Nobody wakes up saying, I want to be defeated today. I want to be defeated for the rest of my life. But if you're human, you, which all of us are, you face a range of potential victories or defeats on a day-to-day basis. And there's these little many victories or many defeats that when they're consecutive can, can form a life of victory or a life of defeat. For instance, if you use an alarm in the morning, there's a moment where you can have victory and wake up when the alarm goes off or you can have the temptation to hit the snooze and sleep in a little longer that's probably not true for any of us here but (laughs) it's always tempting to continue sleeping it's always tempting if you're in school no matter what age range there's always moments where you feel the pressure it's almost like tangible to fit in To be like who everybody else says you should be. And there are these moments where you can choose to fit in and become like the crowd. Or you can choose to learn to become your own person. And allow your character to develop. But there's always a temptation to fit in. As a parent, there's moments where you can decide to just ignore the behavior of your children, no matter how crazy it might be in the moment, and just let it kind of continue on, or to decide, I'm going to engage and fight this battle as the leader of this house, or as as the the God-given right of my children to help them grow, but it's always tempting to just be indifferent, 
and just let things slide. And so there's these little instances. And if if we add these up, if we make the decision in the moment to stand firm and stand strong, that we can live a life of victory. Or in those little moments, we can succumb to the pressure and have this string of defeats. But the key to all of this, to being more victorious, is learning to overcome temptation. That's such a crucial, crucial key. And whether you're a Christian or you're a non-Christian, everyone faces temptation. But it's important to know that temptations and sin are not the same thing. So when we're tempted, we haven't yet sinned, but it can and might lead to sin. So the key is to have victory in the temptation. And not let it lead into sin. And we know this because in Hebrews chapter 4, concerning Jesus, it says, We have one who has been tempted in every way. You think you don't have somebody that can relate to you. Well, this passage begs to differ. Jesus was tempted in every way. Snooze button. Fitting in. Being indifferent. Every single way there's a potential temptation, Jesus faced all of those temptations, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So he faced those temptations. So it's different. There's a difference between being tempted and sinning. That's important to learn and and embrace as we talk about our text this morning. So learning to have victories when you're tempted is a key to having a victorious life. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's pray and read this chapter and talk about three points that help us become more victorious in overcoming temptation. God, we're grateful to come before you and take the Lord's Supper and be reminded that you're here in our presence and that we have a second chance at life and I pray that we respond appropriately to that. I pray as we read your scriptures, your spirit that dwells inside us, quickens our mind to help us understand the core of what it is you would tell us so that we can put it in practice in our lives, serve you, and love others more deeply. All this we pray in his name. Amen. Let's read 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to read the chapter starting at verse 1. If you're joining us... For the first time, we're almost finished with our study of the book of 1 Corinthians. So we're just chapter by chapter. If something jumps out to you, it's not aimed at you. We're just systematically going through the Bible. And that's what we do. Verse 1, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. And that rock was for the for they drank from the sorry, they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. That's a wild idea that the rock accompanied them. And you can go on a wild tangent and read all kind of different articles and commentaries about the miraculous traveling rock, the well that followed Israel. And there's no one really knows, but it's not like it was a stationary well that fed, that gave them drink once, but somehow, some way there was this rock or this source of water that followed Israel around during their wanderings. You can study that out on your own time and let me know what you come up with. (laughs) Verse five, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. 
Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, not if, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? In verse 23, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And remember, this is all based on the church in Corinth wanting to eat meat in the temple that's sacrificed to idols. And they say, we have rights. The weaker Christians see them and say, although I don't think that's the right thing to do, I'll do it as well. And it's not constructive. It's, it's destroying and dividing the church. In verse 27, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. This is a great passage as a parent when you take them to someone's house. The Bible says, eat whatever is put before you on your plate. Doesn't matter what it is, you eat it and you get fired up about it. All right? Verse 28, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal of thankfulness, why am I being denounced because of something I thank God for? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they will be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Amen.
So chapters 7, 8, 9, 10 all discuss this idea about food and food that's been sacrificed to idols in the temple. And again, these, these members that are Gentile, they still participate or were tempted. Some were tempted, some were participating in idol feast. They'd go to the local temple. They'd eat the meat that had been sacrificed to an idol, thinking there was no harm done. But Jews would see this and say, no, there's something wrong with that. And the weaker Jews would sometimes be tempted to do that same thing and violate their conscience. And so they write to Paul and say, what should we do here? And and Paul is, is, is writing for a few chapters to say, basically, don't do that. It's messing your other brothers and sisters up. Even if you think you have the right to do it, let go of your right out of love. And so here in in chapter 9 and 10, he says, we all should really run this race to advance the gospel, not to destroy the church and to to divide the church. We should run in such a way to to win the race. Now, let me give you some examples of people who were running the race, but didn't make it. That's what chapter 10 is about. And so here's here's some history. And in, in its essence, there is an insight about overcoming temptation. And so let's talk about these three points to overcome and have a more victorious life. First of all, we all need to be aware. That's what verse 12 says. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And this this is him like being very clear with the church. They thought they were good, but they were dangerously close to the edge. And he's saying, you be careful that you don't fall. That word careful is loosely translated in the NIV, but it means to be perceptive, to discern, to be aware so that you don't fall. And right before this, it says all humans are bound to temptation. I mean, there's no temptation that's not common to man. Everyone on the planet experiences temptation. In verses 16 through 21, they assumed that because there's one God, it's irrelevant if we go to another temple and eat the meat. That was their basic assumption. And they thought just because we're taking communion and just because we go to church, that's all good. And then you'll find in this passage that it's not all good. Because when we take communion, what's happening? I mean, the the idea is that Jesus is present with us. There's a spiritual being, a spiritual deity, fellowshipping with us. And he says the same is true when what happens in these idol temples. Not that the idol is anything, not the food you're eating is anything. But there's a spiritual being participating with you. And it's flat out demonic. And you can't do both. You got to be aware of what you're getting into. You got to be aware of what's going on. You have to understand, you have to see, you have to discern that when you celebrate the Lord's Supper, Jesus is present. When you go to these idol temples, demons are present. You have to be aware of this. And and that was the thought of pagan mindset. When they had these feasts, they thought the deities would come down and host the banquet. And then Jesus obviously does the same thing at the Lord's Supper. He, he's physically present when he breaks bread at the Last Supper with his disciples, isn't he? 
And, and, and the argument here is that you have to be aware, you have to be discerning, because you might be tempted to get involved with something that you're not really wanting to get involved with. And be careful. If you think you're standing firm, you better be aware. There's all kinds of funny illustrations about people who lack self-awareness. This kid here looking in the mirror. Ha ha ha. So we meet again, you crazy kid. And You know, kids lack self-awareness. And as you grow up, hopefully you gain some. And I, I've gained some as, as I've aged. And sometimes I haven't gained as much as I hope I have. We went to see John Mayer last night. Is our first concert in 10 years, so we'll, we'll, we'll go in another 10. We'll go to another concert, Megan and I. John Mayer, if you don't know, I'm probably one of the greatest guitarists of all time. That's, I don't know how they gauge that, but that's arguably what he's, he's, he's awesome. And he opened the set. We were trying to figure out what set he was going to open. And he opened with How Great Thou Are. Oh, so moving. Like... Uh, Oh, it was just very moving on the guitar. And, and so when I, the, the reason this connects to being self-aware is because, you know, you kind of zero in and you, you kind of, or at least me, I get, a, I get in the moment and I start thinking, yeah, man. <laughs> and I've probably confessed before that I've thought at one point in my life I could have auditioned for one of these talent things as a singer. And so as he's up there and he's shredding, I'm like, oh, man, you know, I'm moving around and feeling it like, man, this could be me. <laughs> and then like halfway through this, I'm like, there's no way this could be me. <laughs> this guy, this guy's so good. I mean, he played sounds I'd never heard come out of a guitar before. And I was, man, you know, but I need to be aware that, you know what? That's just not me. And it's never going to be me. And that's flat out okay. <laughs> I'm okay with that. But I think that's a, that's a funny illustration. But I think we all need to be self-aware of our temptations. Because in a spiritual sense, if you're not, it's very dangerous. You think you're standing fall and then you're doing something you have no idea you're getting involved in. I think we realize certain temptations. I think some are big that are kind of obvious, right? In, in Corinth, they were struggling with idolatry. It's not like I've heard someone confess recently, I'm really struggling to be tempted with idolatry. Right? That, that's kind of an obvious one. They're also struggling with immorality. That's more prevalent today. You know, the immoral lifestyle. But those are kind of big ones that everybody recognizes. Every man knows when he's tempted to lust. That's, that's kind of obvious. It's likely every woman knows when they're tempted to gossip. Those are, you kind of feel that. That's kind of obvious. But there's some other things that are pointed out that aren't as obvious. In verse 9 and 10, it talks about grumbling. You ever been tempted to grumble? The better question is, have you ever confessed that temptation? I'm tempted to grumble here. And, and, and the, the, the example he uses was Israel grumbling against Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt, oh awesome leader? Why don't we choose another leader and take us back? I mean, they're vocal about that, but they gave into that temptation. They said, it's better to be in Egypt than to be free. Let's grumble. They gave into that temptation. So you think, oh, I don't, I'm not, I don't really struggle with temptation. What about grumbling? Perhaps you've been tempted to grumble at some point. 
Another temptation is testing Christ. That's what it says in this passage. Do not test Christ as some of them did. Well, how did they do that? Well, verses 1 through 4 describe it. Israel had their conversion. They pass under the cloud. They go through the sea. They're rescued. Corinth had their conversion. They're rescued. And he's using these similarities to say, look, look at a case study. Look at Israel. They had a conversion experience and look how they responded. Look at the kind of stuff they gave into. You think you're standing firm? You've had a conversion experience? You better be aware of what you're doing. You think because you take the Lord's Supper, it's okay? Here's the temptation. Being religious. Look at us, we're spiritual, we know stuff, we know this, blah, 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 look at us. The temptation is to think we know stuff and stand fall and stand firm, but then we're actually about to fall. Once you arrive at giving in to the temptation of being religious, you actually become religious. That's flat out hard to break free from. Jesus walks around on the earth and casts out all kinds of demons. But when he confronts religious people, they stubbornly buck and they resist. And so we're all, there's, there's a temptation to be religious in all of us. And if someone has given you input or challenged you or, or confronted you, if you could slow the mental dialogue down to like the millisecond, and you could capture what's really going on in your head, it'd be like, and it'd be like, you don't know what I'm faced with and then but in real time when someone challenges you it's automatic thing where you respond quickly before you even think about what they said that's being when you start to defend yourself before you even listen to what's being said that's a temptation to be religious you're giving into that temptation i've been a part of this church for 15 years i've been a part of this church 20 years what are you trying to tell me that you're giving into the temptation to simply be religious or if you want to respond quick because you don't want to be caught being unspiritual, that's, you're giving in to the temptation to be religious. If you're lying about what's really going on, you just want to appear religious. If you're defending yourself, if you're avoiding having these conversations, you're giving in to the temptation to be religious. And if you think you don't have any temptations, this is flat out for you. Is this who it's talking about? People who don't think they have any temptations. Religious. Don't think you're standing firm. You better be self-aware. If you are not aware of your temptations, I strongly encourage you to meditate on this passage and then let God show you who you really are. Psalm 139, 24 and 25. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You think you're not tempted? Ask God. See what he thinks. But lead me in the way everlasting. The first part of having victory is being aware that you flat out have temptations. All of us do, and, and to, to have more victory, the beginning point is simply being aware. If you're not, meditate on this, ask your spouse, ask your flatmate, ask somebody who knows you well, they'll let you know. But do it in humility, but we all need to be self-aware. Secondly, look for the way out. These first examples in 1 through 12 are all negative, aren't they? 
consider these people, and they got killed, and these people, and they got destroyed, and these people, and they were killed as well. But, no temptation, verse 13, has overtaken you, except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Man, that's, that's a breath of fresh air after hearing all that discouraging destruction. God is faithful. I will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. First of all, God is faithful. That's what this says. There will always be a way out. Always. And in, in, it's translated here in the NIV, so that you can. It's one word in the Greek, dunamot, dunamos. Dynamite. That's where we get English dynamite. So you can have power. Not the temptation disappears, but if you read it, it says, so you can endure it. So there's always a way out. God provides power so you can actually handle the temptation. Not that it vanishes like a magic trick, but you have the power to endure it. But this passage says there is always, always a way out. Why is that important? Well, it eliminates any kind of excuses for giving in to sin. And you hear it all the time. Oh, I'm not sure you understand my I'm not sure you understand my situation. I really didn't have a choice. Really, what does this say right here? This says you always have a way out. So you weren't looking for it, or you knew it was there and you didn't take it. Or God is a liar. Which one is it? There's always a way out. God is faithful, and so when you're tempted, look for the way out. Often, we're looking to concoct fine-sounding excuses to justify our behavior instead. That's what I find present in my life. But this verse says there is always a way out, every time, every temptation. This means we don't have to give in. If there's an escape plan, if there's an exit strategy, I want to be looking for it so that I don't give in to the temptation, so that I can have victory and I start to have a victorious life. In that moment of temptation, when you slow down the tape, there's a way out and you got to start looking for it. I think one of the most crucial disciplines, spiritually, is confessing temptations. Not just sin. Temptation. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So here's the clarification. This is the phase where you need to stop, look for the out, and start confessing. Because tempted, when you're tempted, that's not yet sin. Jesus was tempted in every way, yet did not sin. And so when you feel the temptation to be religious in your response, the temptation to look at the internet, the temptation to lie, the temptation to defend, the temptation to avoid, to be indifferent, to be bitter, that's when you pull somebody aside, I'm tempted to be religious in this I'm tempted to be bitter here. I'm tempted to defend myself. And that's the moment where you can start having victories. That's the moment. Yeah. Come on. Come 
Because it, it originates with you. We're all tempted to be dragged away and enticed. But the scripture continues. Then after desire has conceived. That word conceived is literally seizing a prisoner. If you give in to the temptation. It seizes you. It gives birth to sin. And then it gives birth to death. But there's an actual cycle. If you slow it down. And you start talking about your temptations. That's one of the ways out. But what I've found, personally and corporately, people confess sin way more than they do temptation. Because they just justify, I'll I'll go through the sin and then I'll confess my sin. It's a lot harder to develop the discipline of confessing temptation. But that's where the victory is. You haven't sinned. You can have victory. You can have a decisive victory. You can build spiritual muscle. You can have looked for the way out, confessed, and you start developing a victorious lifestyle. I mean, this, this, this discipline is partially responsible for help me, helping me overcome impurity in my spiritual life. The Holy Spirit was a major agent in change, the scriptures and the fellowship. But I started to every time that I was either, when I was single and I would be at a cafe, when I worked, I would be working on my teacher lesson plans and I'd be tempted to talk to the, the barista. I would call one of the brothers. Bro, I'm at the cafe doing work. I'm tempted to go and have a conversation with the barista here. But that was an improvement from actually going and talking. And I'm not talking about going to share my faith. All right. I'm talking about sinful tendencies that are inside of me. You know, trying to be cool and trying to strike up a conversation and trying to make eye contact. And, and I would feel that temptation and I would give in to that. I started the conversation. And then, it, and then later I'd say, oh, hey, bro, man, I messed up. I talked to this girl at the cafe. I got her phone number. I haven't called her, but I want to call her. And then I started slowing it down and I would say, I'm tempted to go and talk to this girl. I'm tempted to get her phone number. I'm tempted. I'm stressed out. I'm tempted to look at the internet. I'm bored. I'm tempted to look at the internet. I started, and it took me a long time, because that's flat out hard to do. Because it's much easier just to give in to the temptation, and then later say, you know what, I got to confess, I messed up. I don't want a life like that. You don't want a life like that. This is a call for us to be a community, to look for the way out, to have a victorious lifestyle and start confessing our temptations before it avalanches into sin. Amen? Lastly, heed the examples. If you're aware of your nature, if you're starting to realize, okay, I do have some temptations. I'm not floating on spiritual clouds. I actually have some things I need to work on. And you're looking for the way out. And one of the other ways you can overcome temptations is just by simply reading these examples. It's crucial to consider both the good and and bad examples in this passage. Right? Because it says in verse 5, Nevertheless, God was pleased, God was not pleased with most of them. Some of them responded. They had been rescued. Like Jody was talking about in faith in the community. They had been rescued. They had a second chance. But God was not pleased with most of them. But some of them really responded properly. That's, that's the example we want to follow. We want to follow people who respond to rescue properly and live a lifestyle accordingly. However, in this passage, they're given some pretty wild negative examples. And Paul says... 
Okay, church, you're tempted to go to these idol feasts. You're tempted to do this. Let me give you some examples of your own history. And then he says, verse 5. Most of them God was not pleased with. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. That's an ugly image. Here's an example. They, They thought they had a religious experience. They went to church and they were scattered all over the wilderness. They didn't make it. You think you could just turn up and assume things are good? Here's an example. Verse 7 through 8. These are crazy examples. Do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as is written, people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. There's a sexual connotation there. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. One day. Numbers 25. Phineas. There's this edict that goes out in Israel. No, stop doing it. Some guy blatantly takes a woman and starts having intercourse with her right in front of Moses and all the people. Phineas comes, gets a spear and drives him through. The plague stops. But 23,000 people died. Paul says, you, you think you can just give in to these temptations about immorality? Here's an example. Don't follow this. That's heavy stuff, man. That's heavy stuff. If if you're aware of yourself and you start confessing your temptations, but you still feel like, I'm going to go for it. Look what happened to people who went for it. That's that's not a good example. Verse 9. Look at those who tested Christ. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. I mean, that's Numbers 21. God, they're grumbling. God sent venomous snakes. What a way to go out. That's horrible. This is all bad stuff. It's discouraging. Verse 10. Don't grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. That's frightening. There's an angel whose job it is that is labeled as the destroyer. That's so frightening. We don't know what reference, it might be Numbers 14, Numbers 16. In any event, the outcome is not good. When the destroying angel turns up, it's not good. Exodus, the destroying angel turns up and goes from house to house. He's the one that strikes down the firstborn. The destroying angel. There's an angel in 2 Kings 19. Strikes down 185,000 Assyrians. One angel. I was picturing this image when the Kales were talking about communion last week. And it said, Jesus could not just call on 12 legions, but more than 12 legions of angels. At least 80,000. Many more. 80,000 angels, at least, at Jesus' disposal. One angel takes down 185,000. I mean, this is heavyweight stuff. You think you're standing firm. Whoa. Heed these examples. Heed these examples. I mean, this isn't meant to discourage, but this is meant to be sobering. These guys were dangerously close. Maybe that's you, maybe that's not you, but we're all there at some point. We're all there at some point. And God didn't tolerate this in Israel, the very people he saved. And Paul said, why why would he tolerate your mess? He didn't tolerate it here. You know, there's a a phenomenon in current, you've probably seen these where people get warned, for instance, at zoos. Don't play with the animals. Or don't feed the animals. Or flat out, don't climb in the cage with the animals. 
but people ignore that mess. And you've seen, you've seen videos, I'm sure. You've read stories about all that. There's a new phenomenon that's occurring as well. It's um, sad, but people dying taking selfies. Since 2011 until 2018, at least 300 reported deaths of people taking selfies. And that's um, just those that are reported. I mean, it's people like walking to a cliff where it says, do not get near the cliff or you will fall. And they try to take the perfect selfie and they fall. Or this is a furnace. There was a furnace in Chennai. And it said, warning, extreme heat, caution, stay away, get back. I mean, it had every possible sign. 47 people got near it and were torched up and injured. Some of them died. Taking a flat-out selfie. Like, so that's a modern-day illustration. You know, people, people are always taking selfies. At the John Mayer concert, man, you, you can see people are always like, selfie. Oh, we did it too, actually, but, you know. <laughs> Unless I'd be tempted. I was tempted to look down on people until I took a selfie myself. All these people. But then I put my phone away and I enjoyed it. But the, the, but the idea is that, you know, you got to be careful taking these crazy selfies. There are examples of people that didn't do that. And, and, and there's examples of people that thought in the scriptures they were good. They didn't listen to the warning. Let that not be us. Let us respond in a way that's appropriate to the message of the gospel. God loves us, but he doesn't tolerate this stuff. We all want a victorious life. No one wakes and wants to hit the eternal snooze button. We all have a desire to be victorious. And God allows us to have victory with the Spirit. Because we've been rescued, we can be victorious. As we conclude... I want consistent victory in my life. I want a string of little victories that add up to big victories that develop my character. I know you want that personally. I know our church wants that corporately. Where we have little victories that lead up to big victories that become the fabric of our church. The key, one of the keys, is simply learning to overcome temptation. Overcoming temptation. Let's become individuals who are aware of ourselves. Let's become a church who is aware of ourselves. Let's become a community who starts confessing temptations today. Pulling people aside and, and, and nailing it at that level instead of allowing it to avalanche in sin. And let's become a community who brings this message of victory to a lost world as we advance the gospel in New Zealand. Amen.